Morning, guys. That was uh, Kim Bynes up here was our hostess. I know, incredible. What I was going to tell you is, uh, basically, she took three minutes to tell you what I'm going to tell you in 30. So, if you listened well to her, go ahead and get out your phones or tablets and just find YouTube or Facebook or TikTok and just be quiet for the next 30 minutes while I talk, okay, and then we can come back in afterwards. How many of you guys have ever been uh, blocked, deleted, unfriended, or unfollowed on your phone or on the internet? How many of you guys have ever blocked, deleted, unfriended, or unfollowed somebody on the internet? I'm glad it's dark in here because I don't want anybody to raise their hands. I don't want to see any hands on this next question. How many of you guys have blocked, deleted, unfriended, or unfollowed, or been blocked, deleted, unfriended, or unfollowed by a Christian brother or sister? It's become a game in our cancel culture, hasn't it? You say something that you know is polarizing, and then you add a little tag like this. If you don't agree with me, delete me. You don't support what I'm saying, unfriend me. If I offend you, unfollow me. Ever seen that or done that? <laughs> and yet, when you think about it, when I think about it, I've offended everybody I know. If I posted something like that, I'd be unfollowed by everybody I know. In fact, I'd probably unfollow myself, because I don't even agree with myself a lot of the time. Bottom line, if people took you seriously when you posted something like that, you'd have no friends left, would you? A healthy family, a healthy family is a weird thing, isn't it? A collection of people who disagree about so many things and yet who still love for each other and pull for each other. It's a weird thing because there's something bigger that holds them together. Now, is your biological family like that? Many aren't. Is the Capital City Christian Church family like that? Last week we kicked off a little three-week mini-series we're calling Talking Points, Faith v. Politics. And last week was all about start with putting Jesus first. Put Jesus first, guys, in everything. As Jesus followers, we don't filter our faith through our politics. We filter our politics through our faith because, as Tony Evans put it, Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. We get that. That's what we mean when we call Jesus Lord, which we do. I kind of like this imagery. I saw this in one guy. He said, uh, as Jesus followers, we're not elephants first or donkeys first. We are. That's our logo. We're people of a lion. The lion didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. Well, Jesus was pretty smart, wasn't he? That's humor. He was God, right? And Jesus knew what was coming. He saw the problems that we Jesus followers would be struggling with. He foresaw the issues that are going to be tearing apart the church, his church, this church, at a time like this, right here, right now. And it seems to me like Jesus wouldn't be as concerned about the election that's coming up in a couple of months as he would be as concerned about what the election could do to his church, this church. Let me show you. If you've got a Bible with you, either hard copy, we don't leave a whole lot of light for that, but 
You can use your light on your phone, or if you just want to look it up on your uh, phone or your tablet, find John chapter 17. John 17, we're going to walk through quite a bit of that chapter. The verses are going to be on screen as well. Let me set the table for you. It's the Last Supper. We're going to celebrate that meal here in a little bit. So Last Supper, Jesus and his disciples are in Jerusalem in an hour or so. Jesus and his disciples are going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus will pray and then be arrested. He will be taken away. He'll be interrogated, mocked, beaten, crucified the next day. And Jesus knows all that. So before he goes to the garden where he will pray for himself and what's coming, he spends some time praying for us because he knows what's coming. So these are pretty much the last words of Jesus to us before he went to the cross. John 17, verse 1. After saying all of these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. The hour has come. It's time. Now, please, glorify the Son so he can give glory back to you. This is it, Dad. It's time. This is what I came for. So, Dad, please glorify your son, which sounds kind of weird when you think about it. What's he mean? It's time to die, right? The hour has come for Jesus to die. How can the Father glorify the son in his death? On the other hand, the word glorify in the Bible means more than just praise him or worship him or honor him or something like that. The glory of God is about more than his praiseworthiness. It has something to do with God's presence, a sense of his presence. Something happens. God does something, says something, and we humans get a sense of the stunningly awesome presence of God. He puts his awesomeness on display right here. It's almost like you can touch him and you sense his infinite immensity, his perfect rightness, this unfathomable love. The glory of God is on display. Glorify your son. Now, did you know this is pretty weird, and I may be wrong, but it seems to me like Jesus never looked more like God than when he hung dead on a cross. I know, sounds kind of weird because gods can't die, right? And I know the resurrection is coming when Jesus is going to look incredibly godlike. But everybody knows how smart God is and how powerful God must be. He's our creator, right? He's God. But whoever would have guessed that God's heart was that big? Who could have guessed that, that he would die for twits like us? I think we learn more about God at that moment, the moment Jesus hung dead on a cross, than any other moment. Father, glorify your son. Show them who you are. Show them what we're about. Blow their minds, God, that your son may glorify you. <laughs> so one political party chooses an elephant as its symbol. Another political party chooses a donkey. We Jesus followers choose a cross. A cross. Or maybe better, a lion that looks remarkably like a lamb. Guys, you don't see elephants and donkeys sacrificing themselves for you. 
They want you to sacrifice for them. For them, it's about coming out on top. It's about crushing the enemy, they hope. But this is our king. This is our king's heart. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. Now we skip down to verse 11. Now, Jesus says, I'm departing from the world. These Jesus followers of mine are not. They're staying in the world. So God, protect them. Protect them by the power of your name. You see, Jesus knows what's going to happen. He's going to die. Then he's going to rise. He's going to go back to heaven. And Jesus' followers are still going to be here in a world that is at war with God. Right? They murdered Jesus, so they're likely going to come after us too in some way. So Jesus says to his dad, Dad, protect them. Protect these guys. But I don't think he means what you think he means. You see, when we ask God to protect people, we usually mean physically, right? She's going into surgery. Protect her, God. He's traveling, maybe through dangerous places. Protect him, God. There's a pandemic. There's civil unrest. Protect us, God. Keep us safe. And if that's what Jesus was asking, God didn't do a very good job, did he? He doesn't protect us physically like that. Every one of his disciples except one was arrested, beaten, and martyred. And the apostle John who wrote this down died in exile. Apostle Paul was repeatedly imprisoned, whipped, beaten, stoned, shipwrecked. And you still see it today. We Jesus followers get sick and we die like everybody else. We're victims of bullying or violence just like everybody else. In fact, sometimes we're even dissed further because we're Jesus followers, right? So when Jesus says protect them, from what? From what? But it's right there in front of us. Protect them by the power of your name so that, so that, here it is, so they'll be united as we are, Jesus says. Protect them so comparatively little things like this pandemic and comparatively little things like our squabbles about how to respond to it. Protect them so the comparatively little things like the squabbles between elephants and donkeys in our world right now. Don't drive them away from God or from each other because they're a family. So they'll be united just as we are, it says. NIV, so they may be one. Protect them so they may be one as we are. So the one prayer request that Jesus made for us right before he dies was not for our physical protection but for our unity which is way more important, way more important than our physical safety. Do you believe that? And apparently Jesus wasn't only talking about those 12 disciples who were with him. Guys like Peter, James, John, Matthew, other guys who were with him at the time, because we skip down to verse 20 and look how he continues. He's still praying. Jesus says, I'm not only praying for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. In other words, for you and for me. He's praying for us. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus prayed for 
the capital city family at a time like this. Because we are the guys who believed through their message. You think he prayed for us the same prayer that he prayed for the original disciples? If you were Jesus, how would you pray for us? Or let me rephrase the question. Do you ever pray for each other? Do you ever pray for your church family? What do you pray for your church family? What do you pray for us? Maybe one of the problems we have is that we don't pray for the same things that Jesus prayed for, right? Verse 21. Jesus says, I pray that they will all, they will all, in Greek the word is pontes. You know what it means? It means all, right? All is a really, really big little word. In Jesus' world, when he prayed for the church, the all included Jews and Gentiles. In that world, Jews and Gentiles didn't understand each other. In fact, in that world, Jews and Gentiles didn't like each other at all. In that church, there were males and females, which seems like a no-brainer. But back then, males and females not only didn't understand each other, which is still true, but back then in that world, males mattered and females didn't. Jesus said, it's going to be different in my church. In his church, there were slaves and free in the same family, which is weird in a world where nearly everybody in that world except Jesus believed that some were born to rule and some were born to be slaves. In the early church, there were fishermen, tax collectors, doctors, peasants, rich and powerful alongside the, pow the poor and the pitiful. Not so unlike the people in this room online black, white, colors in between, those with a lot of money, those with very little, a lot of bills, some with power and pull, others none at all, single, married, divorced, remarried, Republicans, Democrats, independents, indecisive, indifferent, sitting side by side in a family. How does that work? Jesus says, I pray that all will what? That all of us are going to get through this thing together? I pray that they will all what? That they'll all stay safe? He says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, Father. That's weird. Do you have any idea how countercultural? That prayer was and is. We live in a polarized world. We grow in a church that could be polarized. And we use our differences as an excuse to dog on each other, to cancel each other, to block, delete, unfriend, and unfollow each other. And Jesus knew that that propensity to divide would be coming. He knew our world would be doing that. He knew we, we would be tempted to follow their lead. So he prays that we won't follow their lead. We're Jesus followers. Makes no sense to a world that's at war with God. Jews and Gentiles, men and women, slaves and free, one. Fishermen, tax collectors, doctors and peasants, the rich and the poor, one. Black, white, every color in between, those with power, those without. Married, singles, Republicans, Democrats, independents, indecisive, indifferent. 
one. He prays that they will be one, God, just as you and I are one. How? That's not natural. In fact, maybe that's why Jesus asked for God's help. Because we're going to mess it up every time. It's not easy. It's not natural. And then Jesus gives us a hint. I think it's right there in the text. He tells us how. He says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. Here it is. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us. In us. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us. Maybe this unity is not about ignoring our differences. Maybe it's about being in him. Maybe it's not about working out our differences, finding some middle of ground, achieving consensus. Maybe it's about being in him. Maybe being in him, in Christ, is infinitely bigger than anything else that would separate and divide us. Don't you think? Listen, guys. In a couple of million years, do you think it's going to matter who wins this election? In a couple of million years, do you think being in Christ is going to matter? Do you think? Well, here's what's at stake. It's not just about our life with God for now and forever. It's about their life with God for now and for forever. It's about taking as many people with us as we can, which is our job as Jesus followers. Jesus says, I pray that they will be one. I pray that these Jesus followers will be one, just as you and I are one, Father, as you are in me and I am in you. May they be in us so that, here it is, so that the world may believe that you sent me. So that those out there that we care about will come face to face with the only one who can give them real life in this world and the next. So that those out there, out there who are at war with their God, who roll their eyes at us, who blow off what we're trying to tell them, will believe will have faith, will trust in the only one who has the power to give them life for now and for forever. Are you willing to be one in Christ, not just for your sake or for each other's sake, but for their sake? Because that's what's at stake. That's why he prayed this prayer. <clears throat> and here's what happens. See, we not only believe in God, we believe that there's a spiritual world out there that's a part different than this physical world that we're part of, right? It's a spiritual world, there's a physical world. We believe that there are spiritual forces out there who hate God and who hate whatever God loves. We believe that we have an enemy called Satan. And we believe that his mission is to tear as many of you away from God as he can and to keep us from being effective, drawing them towards God. And Satan is smart. He's way smarter than we are. And Satan will use our bent for mischief, for his purposes. And he knows we're all over squabbling, dissing, and dividing. He knows we get all uppity when somebody has the audacity to dis disagree with us, right? 
So when Jesus gave us the job of pointing our world back to God, Satan started using our propensity for bickering to slow us down. Let's divide the church. Let's get them fighting against each other. Not only will it distract them, but it will diminish their credibility to the world they're trying to speak to. Why would they listen to us, guys, when our divisiveness makes us hypocrites? Boy, have we divided. Started out just east and west, orthodoxy and Catholicism. Then we divided into Catholics and Protestants. Then here in the United States, did you know that today in the United States, one source that I saw showed about 6,000 different Christian denominations in our country, about 6,000 of us, and we squabble. And even within those denominations, we squabble, and how many church families have been gutted and divided and split over the bickering, over things way less important than what should be pulling us together. How many people have been lost because we spend our time and our energy fighting against each other. Maybe that is the biggest sin of the church. Jesus goes on. He says, I've given them the glory you gave me. That's kind of daunting after we recognize how God glorified Jesus. I've given them the glory that you glorified me. So they may be one as we are one. I don't know, in Jesus' death and resurrection, God's presence, his power, his grace is out on display. It's mind-blowing. Maybe our devotion to him, our devotion to each other, despite our differences, puts his presence and his power and his grace on display. Maybe the courage that he gives us and the grace that he stirs in us, the peace and the joy that he offers us in his presence put his grace and his power and his presence on display. Verse 23. May they experience such perfect unity. Wow. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me. And listen to this line. And that you love them as much as you love me. Huh? May they experience such perfect unity. Guys, that does not mean that we will ever agree with each other on the political issue of the day. That doesn't mean that <laughs> we have such perfect unity that all of you guys are going to start liking, liking bacon and praise choruses, right? Doesn't mean that you're ever, ever, ever going to grow up and start learning to love God's team, the Dallas Cowboys. Some of you guys are just too hard-headed. It means that what holds us together is infinitely more important than anything that would drive us apart. Infinitely more important. We are in Christ. We're family. We're a family bonded by blood, not our blood, His blood. And when the world sees that, when he sees that weird gathering, this weird family that we have, our Father is glorified. Then the world will know who Jesus really is and that God loves us as much as God loves him. Holy cow. 
Guys, before I wrap this up, I'm going to make just a couple of suggestions on how to live out that oneness, okay? We don't have to agree with each other to be one in Christ, but we do need to treat each other with respect. We must treat each other with respect. So three pieces very quickly. Number one, try to listen to each other. It's hard, isn't it? We like to talk. We don't like to listen. Why listen when you already know the answer, right? Most people don't listen to each other. We want to be heard. We want to make sure they hear what we think. I've watched it a thousand times, two people talking past each other, both wanting to talk, neither one of them wanting to listen. Try to understand. Try to listen. Listening doesn't mean you're going to understand. It doesn't mean that you're going to agree. You probably won't. But it's respectful to really listen, isn't it? Blacks, whites, every color in between. We Jesus followers need to listen to each other. Young and old, it's hard sometimes. Sometimes it's hard to believe that if you're old, the young are from the same species. If you're young, the older from the same species. But it's respectful to listen, isn't it? Both ways. You probably won't understand each other. You likely will not agree, but you can listen. Because Jesus' followers don't just talk. We listen. And you could be willing to learn, be willing to change. Never stop being curious. Never stop being willing to learn and change. That's hard when we think we've got it all figured out. Well, that's not based on age. I've seen a lot of kids who think they've got it all figured out, right? I've seen a lot of old guys who think they've got it all figured out. There's no budging. I love the curious mind. I love the critical mind. But I get really annoyed with the immovable mind. We're Jesus followers. You know what that means? It means that we're not finished yet. God's still got work to do. Never be so stubborn that you're unchangeable. One more, number three. This may be the most important one. Kim made reference to it. She did it so well. You've got to love each other, guys. It's immensely important. In fact, we're going to spend the whole sermon next week talking about just this piece. Love each other. Andy Stanley put it like this. He's got a line that I really thought was good. Never burn a relational bridge over a political view. Never burn a relational bridge over a political view. Wouldn't it be amazing if we lived that out here at Capital City? Because we genuinely love each other. And then God is glorified. His awesomeness is put on display in us. Bottom line, guys, we're living in precarious times. These times threaten the essence of God's church. One guy calls it a perfect storm of confusion. That's what we're in the middle of right now, a perfect storm of confusion. Everything is politicized. Everything. More than any time I can remember, and I'm pretty old. There are no neutral talking points right now. Opening schools, it's political. Masks, political. Racial unrest, political. Economy, jobs, political. There are no neutral topics. There are almost no neutral people. You multiply that, the politicizing of everything, by our cancel culture, right? 
Say one thing I don't agree with and I discount anything that you've ever said or done. It's not new. It's a twisting of an old debate technique that we used to call ad hominem. You can dismiss what a man says if you can assassinate the man. But it's being celebrated now. If I can identify some mistake you've made, I can, I, I can cancel you. And those two, the politicizing of everything in this cancel culture, are ramping up what one guy calls culture war Christianity. That's where a lot of Jesus followers have gone. We are more passionate about making a point than making a difference for Jesus. We are more consumed with winning than we are with loving. And here's what happens when we get obsessed with winning the culture war. We set the church up to be a tool of the politicians rather than the conscience of our nation. Jesus didn't come here to support the Republican platform or the Democratic platform. He came to turn hearts back to God. And that's our mission, to turn their hearts back to God. So later that evening, Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane where he was arrested, taken away to be interrogated, mocked, beaten, then crucified. And on Sunday morning, Jesus walked out of his tomb. Shortly after that, he ascended to heaven, and he sent the Holy Spirit back down to us as he launched the church with one mission to make disciples of all of the nations. With one message, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord, because he didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. And when you bend your knees to Jesus as the Lord of your life, he gives you real life both now and for forever. And then he gave us a standing order. Here it is. Be one. Be one. Listen, guys. Your candidate will win or lose based on how America votes in about two months. The church his church, this church, will win or lose based on how we behave between now and then and thereafter. We will refuse to be divided over lesser things because what holds us together is infinitely more important than anything that could separate us. We are a family bonded by blood, his blood. Guys, a few minutes ago, I asked whether you pray for the church, whether you pray for Capital City Church family. Do you? What do you pray for? Do you pray for the same things that Jesus prayed for? Our physical safety during this pandemic, it matters. Polarization that's tearing our country apart matters. Jesus prayed specifically for our unity in the midst of the messes. Are you willing to pray for that so we can glorify him and win the many? Well, let's do it. Let's right now. Let's do that. Bow your heads with me. Father, your words to us are always so challenging. They cut right to our hearts. They challenge our bent.
for meanness, for your grace, for your forgiveness, for your mercy. We give you thanks. For the bond that this family has in you and with every other Jesus follower, we give you thanks. A bond of blood, the blood of Jesus. A bond more powerful than anything that would separate us. An eternal bond. I pray, Lord, that you help us to live that out. I ask, Lord, that the world will see in us a different way to live together, a better way to live together. I pray that you will help us live out the grace that we have received from you. We love you dearly. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.